0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. Got a great show planned for you today. We're going to talk football with Ryan Souls, my buddy from Chicago. We're going to discuss the two championship games that went to overtime in the NFL with the Rams and Patriots in the Super Bowl. The controversial call in the Rams-Saints game. What else factored into the Saints losing? How the Rams are going to their first Super Bowl since moving to Los Angeles. And the Patriots back in the title game again. The ninth Super Bowl for Tom Brady, leading an overtime drive against the Chiefs. Not much more for him to prove. Chiefs battling back. We break down that game and also talk about the Hall of Fame selection coming up. It will be announced soon. We break down who we would put into the Hall of Fame. Then I talk to Joe Crisali. We talk NHL as we always do. It's all-star break time. The Islanders are streaking. The Lightning looking good. So are the Calgary Flames. And what's wrong with Edmonton? Chicago, LA, St. Louis, a lot of big market teams struggling, we break all that down. It's Ryan Souls and then Joe Crisali here on the Money Mitch Effect, let's start the show. Alright, now on the Money Mitch Effect, to recap, Conference yeah. Championship Sunday in the NFL, for the first time ever, both games went to overtime, Ryan Souls back on the show, Ryan, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect.
1: Man, happy to be on. Uh, happy New Year. I don't think we talked this year, so Happy New Year to you. Let's uh, let's talk some football, bro.
0: Yeah, on one hand, you had what I think a lot of people are clearly saying was just phenomenal drama, phenomenal football on Sunday. Both games, as I mentioned, going to overtime. and,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: These really were the four best teams for most, if not all, of the year. We got one versus two. I know seating sometimes doesn't tell the full story. These teams were all great, all championship level. But, on the other hand, there was some controversy in both of the games, more specifically the NFC game. I'm a little – I want to get the negative out of the way before we can kind of bask in the positives. It does kind of suck to me that we're looking at this weekend that was great football, great drama. We were glued to our television sets, and we got to think about the officials and some poor calls. I'm a little taken aback by that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm a little taken aback by it too just because – you know, when you watch it again and you see, I don't know if that was the back judge, but you can literally see just the referee in the background looking directly at the interaction of Thomas and um, Colvin, I think is his last name. And you can you can just see, and it was just, it's egregious. I, you know, it's probably, you know, with some recency bias here, probably the, the worst call I've seen since the tuck rule. Or non call, rather, uh, even though, you know, some might say the tough rule was correctly applied. But regardless, it was egregious. And you can't have that happen at the highest level, especially, you know, three year two or three years removed from NFL replacement referees. But I will say that I don't think that is the main reason the Saints lost this game, but we will get into that.
0: Well, yeah. And, and we'll start with this Saints Rams game. And, what a game it was Rams winning in overtime going to the Super Bowl their first one since becoming the LA Rams just a few short years ago mm-hmm. there was a lot it's a it's a multifaceted issue number one being that in any in any event there's been poor officiating this season and we've seen it at all levels of uh of games even some some poor teams playing on random Sundays there's just been bad officiating that mm-hmm. call wasn't the only bad call wasn't one-sided refereeing at all in the in the no. game. I know there were some missed calls against the Rams, but Ryan, that was a call that that ends the game. And it was pretty egregious. The ref's looking right at it. I know the targeting rule has been called uh, in in a lot this season, and that's part of the issue too. But even if you take that out, even if you say we don't want to call that in that situation, which I could kind of see, he got there early, and that's textbook pass interference, and you had two officials looking right at it. And I understand that the Saints did a lot in this game to cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl, a lot that's on them and on their plate, but it's hard to have that full argument when this play ends the game and nothing after the fact would have continued. It would have essentially 95% chance, I think, is the efficiency rating of a field goal kick in that situation. So I just I think this is, as you said, probably the worst – Big game call, worst call given the circumstances since mm-hmm. the rule, and probably even worse because that could have been interpreted that way to be applied correctly. Although it being uh, an interesting timing for that to finally work, but I'm I'm just in that boat where it sucks because this is a call that was, as Sean Payton said, a Super Bowl changing call.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely you know I don't want to get too much into the actual play, but it was definitely a Super Bowl changing call. And, you know, like you said, the worst part about it, you have two referees in plain sight. And, you know, to be honest, Mitch, I'm really I'm throwing out the helmet to helmet because the NFL came in. and was really calling that heavily in September and October. And then after you kind of got past where most teams had a bye week, it was it was like they weren't even calling anymore. It's like they never even put in the rule. And that, that was made apparent in many, many of replay uh, from games long before this one. So just putting the, the no-call pass interference on his head, it's, I mean, it, it's textbook. The number one reason you're going to get a flag thrown is because you're playing the ball before turning your head around. And and number one, I mean, that that should have been the tail right there, 100%. But I will say this, and I don't want to jump the gun, but to me, this all could have been prevented if Sean Payton runs the ball on first down because that's that's yeah. first down. The Rams got two timeouts, and if they had three timeouts, I understand. And, and with Drew Brees back there, that's almost as good as a run. I get it. But run the ball on first down. They got nine in the box. You make the Rams burn their two timeouts, and we're not even having this conversation because Jared Goff is going to get the ball back down three, no timeouts with, you know, a few seconds to spare. And we've seen stranger things happen in the NFL, but I think and like you said, impossible to separate it from the egregiousness of the call. But Sean Payton could have outsmarted himself and not just running the football that we we might not even get
2: here.
0: Right. No, that's a very fair point. Uh and, and I just wanna put a bow on it by saying the NFL has a bigger issue on their hands than just one call as bad as it is. And that's mm-hmm. the quality of the officiating has been pretty poor this season. I think we've been following and watching football a lot we saw how bad it was how many mm-hmm. ball starts blowing things dead that they shouldn't have this was supposed to be an all-star crew uh, as the playoffs are supposed to be and, and there were these calls so I just want to see better officiating more accountability I think that's part of it too a call gets missed I don't want a pool reporter coming out similar to the NBA when you have the report after nothing mm-hmm. really gets accomplished that way and maybe, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, if it's more full-time officials, if it's, maybe I heard this point the other day too, getting a little younger. Uh, you might need youth in here. It's a really big, fast game. It's hard for guys in their 60s to be able to keep up with everything. But I just want to see improvements across the board because you can look at any team. You can insert your team here. Even, I know I'm a Browns fan. There's been terrible calls against us this year. You watched that Cowboys-Eagles game on Sunday. That was Horribly officiated I mm, know, horribly. So I just want to see better officiating Because In in any event we just got to get the product Better on the field
1: mm-hmm, I agree we definitely need to see better officiating I think too and I know It works like this for the Super Bowl But, Correct me if I'm wrong for these playoff uh, Rounds Starting with the divisional Aren't the ref Referee crews are all star crews So yeah. technically they may not even Work together for the entire year and to me, that in, of, in and of itself is a problem because the higher in magnitude these games are, you would think, like, you know, we, we apply the same logic to football players. Teams that have more continuity late in December are more poised to go on and run. Don't you think referee teams that have more continuity are poised to call a better game as a team?
0: I do. I think that's a good point. And, and I also think that, Similarly, we're gonna probably get to a point where this is challengeable. I think we're gonna get. But it shouldn't
1: be. It shouldn't be. But go ahead, because that's a whole other can of worms,
0: man. I I hear you, but we're getting to a point where I think they're gonna regulate it like a coach's challenge, where it's on the coach to. You've already gotten to the point now where you can challenge if a ball is tipped. I think Mm -hmm. we're gonna get to that point too, and I'm not. I'm not entirely against the idea of it, but I do want to see some accountability. It would have been nice if, you know, we we saw the same clip with Inside the NFL where two refs are looking at it, so they couldn't talk this over. Everybody on that field missed that call. That's what I, you know, they talk it over to pick up flags. Why couldn't Mm we get that same level? So in any event, the call is what it was. The Saints lose that game. Just brutal to be a Saints fan. I know if anybody's team was switched in there, they'd feel the same way. She mentioned some of the calls, Ryan, as we continue on the Money Mitch Effect talking about the NFC Championship game. Some of the calls that Sean Payton made that didn't go his way. I actually thought it was a pretty poorly coached game given how good these coaches are, a testament to what they've done. McVay not going for it on fourth and one at the goal line. I I really Mm -hmm. question that in the moment because we saw what would probably happen and the Saints moving down the field. But Payton not not running the ball on first down. And really, the Saints playing a little too conservative when they got that lead early in the game. With any of these teams, Ryan, I felt like if you got up, you had to stop on their throat because these offenses are just too explosive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Saints squandered a couple opportunities in the beginning of the game where it easily could have been 14-0 instead of 6-0 to start. And, you know, you, you credit the Rams' defense really going into the playoffs after, um getting Dante Fowler Jr. over from the no, Jaguars. Great, great that, yeah, he had a great game. You know, and Wade Phillips really getting his defense planned to how we thought they'd be playing in September. I definitely give them some credit and slowing them down, the, the Saints that is. But, you know, you put some coaching on it, and I, I mentioned that before. But really, since that Dallas beatdown that the Saints took, Drew Brees hasn't looked good. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't I don't know if that's a synopsis into the to the larger picture of what's going on here or maybe you know it's just a sample size you know that remains to be seen but Drew Brees had been playing good football
0: I I would add to that you're right but I would also add as well as the running game has been and Camaro, we know he's a stud especially catching passes they've got to get themselves a bona fide number two I mean Michael Thomas was pretty much the entire you can look at the stats he was. The of any number one receiver, he was carrying more share of, of his weight than anybody else. They just didn't absolutely. have anybody else to throw to. And you get to these these this time of year where you might not see it in the in the early season, in the mid season. But Wade Phillips, guys like Bill Belichick, that are programmed to take away number one options, they're mm-hmm. not going to let one guy destroy them like that. So absolutely, that, that's part of it as well. But the Rams defense did play well down the stretch. Uh, I thought they did great. We know how much of a stud Aaron Donald is. That's no surprise there. But Dominick and Sue actually stepping up, Fowler playing well. They were able to kind of mask some of their secondary inefficiencies that we've talked about. And on the other side of the ball, Ryan, I mean, Jared Goff played a good game. He he is up and down. He's not in that elite level category, but he made some big throws in some clutch moments. And, That offensive system with Gurley not really being, you know, effective, I actually thought they pulled him out of the game because he wasn't necessarily 100% and wasn't giving them what they needed. I just thought Goff stepping up when he needed to was a coming-of-age moment for him.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I I think Goff played okay, I think, considering the circumstances. Right. Uh, I de- I definitely think you know he played a good game, but I, I I wouldn't say I don't know if it was if it was a coming of age game so to speak. Well, I, I think say, there's yeah,
0: two... I would say the key plays. I mean, not necessarily it was kind of what I mean. Yeah, it's not. I'm not trying to sound sacrilegious, comparing him to Brady. oh no, no, no. Comparing oh, no. him no, Brady. But on those first few Patriot teams before Tom Brady became Tom Brady, mm-hmm. those overall stat lines weren't great, but he made no. the throws in the big moments, and that's that what I needs saw to from make. golf on uh, on Sunday.
1: Mm-hmm. No, 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 I can't disagree with that at all. I cannot.
0: Has there been a bigger signing from a guy that was basically out of football on the street than C.J. Anderson late in the year? Because what he's given the Rams is, I mean, I don't think there's a single pundit alive that saw this coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is not like, and I feel like I can say this, but C.J. It didn't look like he was the guy, one, who the Rams might have had first on the list, but two – CJ looked like he was sitting next to me on the couch, <laughs> you know, eating whatever. Yeah, he's gotten a little but, bigger
0: since we. Oh got
1: yeah, there. but I mean, he—you wouldn't—you would have never known. Yeah, yeah you, you never would have known.
0: He—he uh, he gives them a lot of power running uh, up the middle, and and they need it now. I think McVay, I think he actually did pull Gurley kind of healthy because Mc, Anderson was running well, and also. Under, under underrated thing, Ryan, Anderson's great in pass protection. Gurley kind of mm-hmm. struggles that. That's the one thing where you'd like to see a little better from Todd Gurley, why I give my boy Zeke a slight bump over him for uh, the running back pecking order, because that mm-hmm. underrated aspect of being a running back is how can you pass protect when you need to and not get your quarterback killed, and Anderson was doing a good job of that too. No, I agree. I agree with that. One of the best end-of-game field goals I've ever seen, too. It was great. I look at this team and what the Rams have done, Ryan. I mean, Sean McVay was hyped up as the boy wonder. He's getting all of his friends' head coaching jobs now. But he's in the Super Bowl. I mean, so say what, say what you want about how the Rams did it. They went all in. I think the front office deserves a lot of credit. But they're here. They're here I had a schedule, I think a lot of people would say, too, in the Super Bowl. Oh, definitely.
1: And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on this a little later. But we're really going to find out what he's made of now, too. Because this, I mean, this, this is the ultimate test coming up here. I mean, we'll see how how good of a coach he really,
0: really is. Well, it's going to come down to it. We'll see. The Rams are in the Super Bowl, and they're going to play the New England Patriots. Both road teams win this weekend, too, which was another interesting wrinkle. That game going to overtime as well. What a what an interesting game this was because we both saw the, the Pats go out early to that big league. The Chiefs shut out in the first half. And I think everybody, ourselves included, thought, "All right, here we go." The Patriots have just—they figured it out. They're going to ride right into the Super Bowl. Chiefs didn't go away. To their credit, they fought hard. And, and in that second half, the offense came alive in more ways than one. But at the end of the day, goes to overtime. Pats win the toss, and that was the moment, right? We thought the game was over when the Patriots won the coin toss.
1: Oh yeah, when they, yeah. When they won the coin toss, I looked at my buddy. I said, "It's a wrap. It's over." Because th- this is what he's built for. This is what they're built to do. I, I forget what uh, what Patrick Mahomes called in the air or whoever called the uh, flip, but they should have slipped a coin with a double sided coin in there. Because uh, if Tom Brady won the flip, it was over.
0: Yeah, uh, that would be the bargaining, right? The Chiefs should have said, look, if you give us the ball and we don't score a touchdown, yeah, I mean, it's
1: right. We'll yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll lose. We'll, yeah, it's just yeah. over. Uh, I, I think
0: I think they'd bet that. I think the Chiefs would rather, instead of you know, instead of taking it to chance, they'd say, uh-huh. "Just give us the toss, give us the ball, and we'll lose the game if we don't score a touchdown." Because that's what you're going up against. Exactly. With Brady, um, I think that's a good place to start because there really isn't much more that he could do. I I don't think to establish his greatness, his goat status amongst quarterbacks, he's outlasted every single contemporary he has. Third and long is his calling card. It's probably the one the one uh, quarterback, the one player in history where I feel better about his chances when it becomes third and long versus any other scenario. Mm. And look, I'm at a point now, Ryan, where looking at, not to go too far ahead, but this Super Bowl, it wouldn't surprise me if he won and retired because there's nothing left for him. He's outlasted every single contemporary.
1: I mean, we would have thought that when he came back from 28-3 and beat the Falcons. That there was nothing else for him to do and he stuck around so at this point i you know i everybody is at a certain point gonna hit that cliff whether you fall off or whether you glide off you know is left up to father time but i'm through trying to speculate when he's going to be done because right, if, no, if, they, yeah. if they let tom brady come out there in a hover around, he'll come out there and play and i think sadly and i, I you know i don't wish this on anybody but Tom Brady, this is not a sport like boxing um, where you can, you know, you just keep getting back in it. Football, somebody's going to knock Tom Brady out of a game, and that's when we'll know he's done. Because I don't think he'll walk away. I think somebody's going to knock him out of a game.
0: With the rules the way they're going, I don't know. I mean, that might, <laughs> it might be harder yeah. to come by, I, definitely, I, definitely, definitely I, than in the past. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to speculate either. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if he walked no. away because he's at a point now going into this game. But I I thought the game came down to, obviously there's a lot more to to be discussed in it, but one of the big, big areas of who would win this game to me was, can the Chiefs get to him? And they didn't get to him. So the line, the line line of the Patriots did a great job picking it up and Brady just carved that secondary apart.
2: I do,
0: I do do just want to say that was an awful roughing the passer call. That was one of the worst roughing the passer. calls I've seen
1: terrible, terrible real quick. I, I just want to mention, um, Bill Belichick, too, because I feel like, you know, we mentioned Brady. And to be honest, up until the end of fourth quarter and overtime, he wasn't having that great of a game. And what makes Tom Brady the GOAT is as soon as they won the toss, you knew that it was over. And I think that's what makes him who he is. But I think to talk about Bill Belichick for a second, the reason why, honestly, Tom Brady was in a position to do what he did, is because that opening drive to start the game, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels said, we're going to have the longest drive Kansas City's ever seen, and we're going to keep them off the field, and we're going to let them know what type of game this is going to be. And I think Patrick Mahomes, at a certain point, was going to turn back into the MVP if you gave him time. But the fact that they were able to keep Tyreek Hill really completely insignificant just... Points to the coaching. Your opening drive when the Chiefs get the ball, they have six minutes left in the first quarter. I can't put that on time.
0: Yeah, and Belichick is the master at shortening games when his team is kind of outskilled. It doesn't happen much. We saw it when they beat the the Chargers, you know, in that uh, AFC semifinal game with LT Uh a couple years, twelve years ago now. We see that he is great at, he'll shorten games, he'll, he'll get the most out of his drives on offense, he'll take as much time off the clock as he needs, and defensively he'll take away X factors. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, look, the Patriots defense is uh, faces a lot of mismatches on the negative end against the Chiefs offense, and Mahomes exposed some of them. Williams, the running back, played well, Mahomes mixed it up a little bit. He showed me a lot, did Patrick Mahomes, that he's gonna he's gonna be in this game for a while. He mm-hmm. made some poised plays down the stretch. He made Tom Brady beat them. I know it's not any resolve for Chiefs fans or himself, but yeah. a lot of lesser quarterbacks, Ryan. Wouldn't have taken the team down in at the end of regulation, would have thrown that late pick, would have crumbled in the fourth quarter of the second half. So Mahomes isn't one of those guys. It just sucks oh, you comparing yourself to the goat at the position. And on the other side, as you mentioned, you have a side you have a head coach on the sideline that's smarter than anyone that's ever coached. So Uh-huh, exactly. It's a tough combination to uh... beat. Credit to uh,
1: Andy Reid too, because he made some really nice adjustments in the second half. Um, it's just you know he ran up against you know Master Splinter.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I know it's tough. I know they fired their defensive coordinator. Kind of a tough break because uh, you're going. Yeah, to that ain't straight. his fault.
1: Yeah. I mean, Bob Sutton can't go down there and rush the passer. So you know that that's not his fault. And Bob, for, I mean Bob Sutton ain't lining up offside either.
0: I mean, so, yeah, that was the that was the play. I mean, D four being offside that. Pretty much ends the game. I know the Patriots had all three timeouts because they weren't going to blow a timeout late in the game, so they could have gotten a stop maybe. But yeah, that was huge. We know how clutch Edelman is. I know that you know he he's he's not he's not a Hall of Fame talent, but he's going to be synonymous with so many big plays, and he's so clutch for what they do. And even though Gronk's not hundred percent and probably won't ever be the hundred percent Gronk that we know ever again. He's still, he's still a mismatch. And when they can get him outside, I mean, he's still able to make some big plays that very few, if any, tight ends can make.
1: You know, I'll say this, Mitch, and I'm sure you noticed this, but I don't I don't think the casual football fan would even realize still how good Gronk is. And it really didn't even have much to do with the catch because I think he only had one or two catches in this game. But watch him on the end of the line of scrimmage blocking he's defense in. He no tight end has done that better than he has. And you know, you maybe throw you know, you can throw Ozzy, you know, you Shannon Sharp, Tony, but I not think the can turn, Not as a blocker. Not as a blocker. Yeah. He's a behemoth, man. I mean, and he, he he's taken that best pass rusher's best shot.
0: Well, the Patriots are in their ninth Super Bowl with Tom Brady more than any other franchise has ever been. Uh it's incredible four and five years now Ryan it's just um it's it's I know we hate them as general sports fans not from the Boston area but there's a certain brilliance here to think that this is probably now the best dynasty in in North American sports history and we're gonna miss them when they're gone I don't want to get too sentimental but we don't know when it's gonna end we we should stop speculating on that too because it could last a long time but this is just something now that we expect them to be in this game every year.
1: Oh yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Like like you said, I, I love to hate the Patriots, but at, literally after every season and other Patriots haters who I talk to hate me saying this, but it's the truth. You have to salute what they do because if you're a fan of football, it is beautiful to watch them play football because the Chiefs are out here and three receivers, one running back, one tight end putting up, you know, almost 40 points a game and the Patriots said, you know, we're going to come in here with a full back, two tight ends and a running back and you're not going to be able to do anything
0: about it. No, nothing. It's uh it's crazy. And it doesn't matter if they lose players mid-year, the Josh Gordon thing, players yeah. with injury, you know, Edelman missed last year, as long as Brady's there, as long as Belichick's on the sideline, They'll be fine. It might look bad at times early in the year, but they'll get here and they'll be they'll fine. Be fine. So. Mm-hmm. Incredible. What's the early pick for the game? I know you like to kind of wait until last minute, but what's your read right now on this game? My,
1: my read right now is New England pretty handily, to be honest. I, just, I like the talent that the Rams have, but I really think Gurley being hampered, Bill Belichick's going to figure out a way – to make Jared Goff have to beat them, I think he's going to try to neutralize that play-action pass. I think somehow the Patriots are going to end up with the last possession of the game, and they're going to win.
0: I'm with you on the Patriots. That's where I'm leaning right now. I won't say handily because this defense still has some flaws, and we know Belichick will grind the game out and win just in, by, by just enough. Well, I think 10 points. Okay, see, I, I think yeah. it could be a single-digit game. Okay. Um I'm hoping for a good game. I just I am too the way, the way this goes, it could be similar to this past week where it's close and then Brady just makes the plays. If he walks off the Super Bowl, I mean we gotta just yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where that's where this fall seems like. Okay, I'll
1: i ask you this. Who who do you think is a better coach? i uh, just to say offensive coach, mm-hmm. Andy Reid or Sean Payton.
0: Andy Reid or Sean Payton?
1: Oh, not Sean Payton. Oh. Um Sean McVay, my fault. Sean I
0: still put I still put Reed there. I, um, I, I'm okay. going by the body of work, and
1: um, I agree. Yeah. And in terms of just skill, position, talent, top to bottom, do you think Tyreek Hill is better than any of the Rams' offensive players, including health, because Gurley's not 100. percent
0: yeah, I mean, that's fair then. Uh, I, I think the Rams have more depth pieces that they can play with, I really uh-huh. do. So I think that's the problem there is, yeah, you know, the Chiefs didn't have the depth that a lot of those position players. But it's going to be fun to see for sure. Absolutely. And the, and the Rams line, very, very good, which we've seen. So we'll. See. It is.
1: That'll be huge, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, all right, Ryan Souls, Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, we got to talk a little Hall of Fame because that's coming up. It's right up our wheelhouse as well. The announcement's going to be made at NFL Honors the night before the Super Bowl. 15 finalists this year. Again, it's going to be pretty good to see how this goes, Ryan. But we've looked at the list. We're trying to make some predictions now. It's a it's a nice time of year, and it's nice because we're seeing some of the guys we grew up watching that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. For sure, we know that Tony Gonzalez and Ed Reed are going to be on the list. Like wow, oh, 100%.
1: Shoo-ins. 100%.
0: Do we put Champ Bailey third? Is he going for sure? First time ballot, first time uh, eligible.
1: He's my third, absolutely. Okay, absolutely.
0: I agree with you on that. I think longevity is what to me sets it apart mm-hmm. because his reign at the top, and we can look at the the last couple crop of cornerbacks who we thought were the greatest. It's a short window at that position, It is. you know, and he and his reign has been surmountable. So at that point, Ryan, let's say three more names, and I don't want to kind of. Force you in one direction or not, but you probably would have a coach on there as well. So we're looking at three more names to get in this year. It's a stacked class. Some of these guys have been waiting for a long time. How would your next three be?
1: So my next three would be, I'm between Kevin Hawaii and Alan Fanica. See, I, I knew, don't know. Yeah, I knew a yeah. would
0: be there, and then yeah, you know, you'd have to throw. Well, I guess it's those two and Tony Biselli. But you're going yeah, well, and two.
1: and Hutch, uh, Hutch is in there too, Steve Hutchinson. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, between one of those guys, I don't... Edron James is one of those first off the list for me, unfortunately. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I just... He's going to wait, sad to say. I don't think they'll take two corners. And I Mm -hmm. think John Lynch was an overall better player than Ty Law. and Because John Lynch has had to wait so long, I could see.
0: Because he's waited six years.
1: Let me find the list of coaches. If you got them in front of yeah, you.
0: Yeah, Don Croyal is the one that I think should go. Oh, yeah,
1: there. oh yeah, he's automatic. Yeah, you yeah. got it,
0: him. It's him and Tom Flores, and they both were pioneers. I would probably go with Croyal. I would mm-hmm. put him in offensively. I mean, a lot of what we're seeing with the guys we mentioned, McVay and Andy Reid, are, are from him. I mean, offensively, Absolutely. the passing mm-hmm. game. He would be mine, and I'd, I'll lock him in right now just to get a spot up. Um, but the other names that we didn't mention so far because you said edger and james might be waiting steve atwater has been steve waiting atwater. a long time so is or him and lynch one of them and is richard seymour on the list
1: if this is seymour's first year i don't think he'd get in as a first ballot I yeah can't i agree
0: see. with that but how about the name isaac bruce he's, been he's waiting, waiting for three years i think it might three or four yeah Are <laughs> there any other receivers in here no he's the only one that made the final finalists this year
1: he might he might get in on that he might get in on that Yeah, that's just that's tough because you ask yourself just football player was Isaac Bruce a better football player than Ty Law I don't know that's hard Ty Law locks him up head-to-head
0: too he does he does I'm gonna say and I have a I have a uh a spot for some of the older guys that have waited uh, dude, if I was dude. doing the list, I'm not sure this is how it's going to be. I would actually think James has a shot to get in, even though I would wait as well. You
1: said Edron James? You got think,
0: a shot? I think he does. I think he does this year. But I would go – I mean, Edron James is the whole Curtis Martin versus Terrell Davis debate, right? Like you never, never really saw Edge as like the premier running back in the league, but he did it for a very but long did, yeah, time. he just – yeah,
1: he just got it done, right.
0: I would say my other three, assuming Champ Bailey is in with the other guys, I would go with Crayell. I would go. I am gonna say. I am gonna say Atwater. I'll put Atwater in slightly over Lynch, and then okay. I,
1: I, this is his third Atwater's third year coming up now. If that changes anything
0: for yeah, you, I, Atwater Lynch is gonna be a tough one. And that is that tough. Point, I think they might wait. I, I think they might wait. Uh, excuse me. I think they might make uh, Bruce wait a little longer, and I think Alan Fanica is gonna get in this year. Okay. I okay. do. And I'm not you know I don't like the Steelers at all. Oh, I know you don't but like the Steelers. But I think a lineman's gonna get in this year. So then mm-hmm. I think we're looking at they're gonna put one of the linemen in. I think I think you gotta put Crayle or Correale or or even Flores. I mean one, I mean, those either one of those guys has one of those guys, And then you're looking at that last spot and I, I would put Atwater or, or Lynch in at the safety position. I think Bruce I know he's been waiting a, a little bit, but I think he'll eventually get in. It's tough because I think most of these guys are Hall of Famers and you know, Darren Woods and Jimmy Johnson didn't even make the finalist list. Clay Matthews, it, right? uh, Clay Matthews, Clay the Browns linebacker in the 80s, hasn't made the finalist list. So,
1: Yeah, um, and the stuck, fact man. that um, that Jimmy Johnson didn't make the finalist to me is a shame, but it's hard as, as a coach. But just, I mean, you really – and I think a lot of it too. A lot of people don't like Jimmy Johnson, so I think that has a lot to do with it.
0: We're happy to see these guys get into the Hall of Fame, whoever the class is this year. But seeing Ed Reed in there and Tony Gonzalez, I mean, we're talking about two pioneers in the NFL. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Ed Reed yeah. changed the way the position was played. I, Ed Reed was the first player, including Dion Sanders, that I saw, who just the way football was being shown on TV – Nobody would cut into your camera quicker than Ed Reed would and just do something. Like you're just watching the camera pane and something's happening. And all of a sudden, Ed Reed just cuts into the screen and does something. And I had never seen that before. And he just, he always popped out of your TV when he was playing. It was just a pleasure to watch him.
0: He was. He saw the game differently. I think that's the way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. Saw it differently. And the last note on this there is a the senior committee. And sometimes we don't really know a lot of the names that are up there. Like, we aren't as familiar with them because they could be a blast from football's past. but still an important past. This year, you're looking at two guys for sure that are locks. Pat Bowen, the Broncos. And Joe Brandt. And Joe Brandt. I mean, Pat mm-hmm. Bowen, who's in deteriorating health, it really sucks that he's not going to be able to fully appreciate this moment. But what he did for the Broncos organization. But, I mean, he, he's as deserving. And Jill Brandt was... Was an architect. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. those Cowboys teams. He did. A, he he had a lot to do with the absolutely Cowboys teams. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun class. And you know, I, I always we both like the moments when they when they get the announcement. When you see the visit to the hotel room. Oh, I
1: know it's it's, it's awesome because I mean that's just they've they've worked their entire career for that. So well, we'll see.
0: But Ryan, this was fun. Uh, I hope everything's going well for you in Chicago, and and I hope you know that. I'm kind of torn right now with with what I'm enjoying more, the optimism for the Browns offseason or just the self-destruction going on in Pittsburgh.
1: <laughs> you know what, that's pretty funny. Um, man, I'll tell you, the Browns, I'm really – and I'll be the first to say, in this first year, I was definitely wrong about Baker Mayfield. I didn't think he would play this well. He is, without question, the offensive rookie of the year, and um, – I like Freddie Kitchens as the OC more than the head coach, but as long as Baker's got somebody around him that will develop him, the sky's the limit for him. And we need a whole another show to talk about Pittsburgh.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just warms my heart. But
1: uh, I know. oh, where do you see AB going?
0: Yeah, that's honestly, I don't want to make it sound like a cop out, but this is way too tough to call because he's one of the greatest receivers in the history of the game. He is. Well, having said that, definitely seems like a locker room diva, distraction, cancer, whatever word you want to use. But what what's the right asking price? You'll never get fair compensation if he's fully healthy. So I, I think yeah. look, it, it's going to be whoever's willing to pony up the most. I think it's a full-out bidding war, and you never see this in the NFL where it's just, all right, who offers the most? I don't think the Steelers care, other than maybe within the division or the Patriots because they always beat them so much. But Right. I think it's going to be the the biggest buyer, mostly.
1: Yeah, you might be right. You might, but we both agree that there's no chance he comes into camp in a Steelers uniform.
0: I, I, how could you at this point? I mean, yeah, I would say like what 10 chance? I mean, no, I, don't I, wanna, so. I, don't I think less say, than that. Okay. I mean, one. In t- I just yeah. There's always the the, the faintest possibility that they could get in a room and figure this out, but it just does. It's deteriorated so bad, and and. I don't, you know, I'm never going to really de- fully defend the Steelers organization, but you can't not practice all week and expect to just show up in a game. I don't care who. you I, are. I don't care who you are. And then, I and agree. Then to go home after and, you get inactive. it's just yeah, you know, enemy code.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just not even to hell with the professionalism part. You you signed an agreement with those other dudes in the locker room. It's so, bad.
0: It's he, bad in Pittsburgh yeah. right now, man. It is, it is. Well, what can you do? It's such a, such a shame. I know I'm, I'm really sad about that. But, all right, Ryan, this was fun. Pleasure catching up. Happy New Year, as you said. And uh, best of luck with everything. We'll definitely be doing this again soon.
1: Thanks, bro. Same to you.
0: Huge thanks to Ryan Souls for coming on today's show. Breaking everything down. Only one more football game left of the year. So sad about that. But Patriots Rams should be a good Super Bowl. And again, looking forward to all those guys getting their names called for the NFL Hall of Fame. Now it's time to switch sports. Talk hockey with Joe Crisali. We break down the beginning of the NHL season. We're halfway there. And it was quite a dandy with some teams in front that we weren't expecting. And uh, a lot to discuss, including Peter Trelli's firing in Edmonton. That was the topical news story. Some MVP candidates as well, Kucherov, Goudreau, McKinnon, Ovechkin, still going strong, Rotten in a lot of names to break down, Joker Sally talking to NHL first half of the season, here it is now. Alright, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back to talk hockey after a couple months away from the show, my good buddy Joker Sally. Joe thanks for rejoining the show.
2: Going on, Mitch. Been a minute, but always good to
0: talk. Hard to hard to believe we're at the All Star break already. Um, but I want to start with. We're going to touch on how we got here, how the teams are doing, some statistical oddities, and, and what we think for the second half of the season. But I'm going to start with a hypothetical. Are you ready? All right. If the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup final, you're watching the Rangers, and let's say oh let's say there's a minute left in the tie game, and Hank Lundquist just gets run over, and the goal goes in. And both refs say, "Well, we didn't see it; no penalty."
2: <laughs> I feel like I've seen this
0: before. <laughs> right? Like I feel, I feel like it wouldn't go over well with the hockey community, and it would, it would be pretty pretty upsetting. Yeah, to have a have a yeah. game, you know, you by controversy. It. <laughs> it's just I, yeah, I was trying all week to think about what the equivalent would be to what happened in that well, Saints Rams game, and I think it would be a goalie getting run over uh, and the puck going in.
2: I think uh that's hilarious that you brought it up that way because that immediately made me think of when uh, Lundqvist got completely draped on a goal in the Stanley Cup against the Kings <laughs> and then ended up losing, and that was like the the what spun the whole series around for the kings so yeah. but that same game i'm still I'm still livid about I'm still livid. So I told you. I predicted them winning the Super Bowl back in October. Me I actually too. have a date on it.
0: I had preseason in them I had
2: them winning. I had them winning. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I feel really smart right now. Because yeah. I, I made that prediction before the season started. Just me doing stupid things like yeah. normal. And then I'm like, holy crap. They're really – I mean, I, that first week when they lost to the Buccaneers at home, I was like, it's going to be a long year for me. But then they made it all the way. To the championship game, and they won the game. They won the game. You make that call. You make the correct call. Yeah, the game is over.
0: Yeah, and that's why that's why I brought up the hypothetical. I remember that uh, Rangers Kings controversial call, but there's still games left. I know momentum changed. In this scenario, the game is over. So that's where it has to be. Like it have to be an elimination game, like overtime or something like that uh in hockey but yeah that's 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 terrible we'll get we'll get to hockey i just wanted to bring that up and try to figure out what the comparison would be before we talk about the regular season there is something i do have to bring up Uh, a guy near and dear to both of us probably more near and dear to me than you but rick nash retired and uh he hadn't played all year it was uh official about a week or two ago when he announced that he uh you know he had some concussion issues and he's not coming back so he leaves uh a borderline probably not quite but borderline hall of fame resume likable guy by just about every team that he was on was unable to win a stanley cup but what are your remember what are your memories i should say of the new york rangers version of rick nash oh
2: you're gonna hate me (laughs) but what i remember rick nash as is a goal scorer who couldn't score goals
0: (laughs) in the playoffs huh
2: yeah that's what i remember
0: well, it, that's fair. Uh, I would say that you guys had quite a few of those in, on those New York teams that were in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, Aaron
2: really, Gabbard. Yeah, oh, thanks for him, really too.
0: Perform. Um, I, you know, Nash was the first Blue Jackets, like, good player and, uh, you know, debuted at, like, 19 in the NHL. And that team was a franchise, an expansion franchise, and the old rules before Vegas had some uh, some legs up, I should say, on the, the Columbus and Nashville's, where it was a lot harder to build a contender. I think it's fair to say that if he's on a different team, he probably is a Hall of Famer. But those teams were so bad, and he was literally all that they had. So I think that's going to kind of hurt his overall legacy. But I'll remember him as the first great Columbus Blue Jacket hockey player and somebody that helped put them on the map and laid the groundwork in what was pretty much a thankless job because those teams were pretty bad. And, and you got to remember that Phoenix Coyotes goal. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> No, it's. Uh, I just. I also don't like when a player goes out, uh, not on their terms. So it sucks that it's, you know, concussion issues, and um, you know, it's unfortunate there. But he was a heck of a player. Uh, won two gold medals. Was on that top line in 2010 with Crosby uh, on that Canada team. So yeah, one of the best uh, of his era for sure. A number one overall pick that lived up to the hype. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I definitely could agree with that. I just think. You know, like you said, him being in that small market and being on that team that wasn't very good, no one really got the word about this player, Rick Nash.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like he was one I, of
2: the premier goal scorers. I, in his prime, he was oh, one yeah. of the premier goal scorers in the league. Like, you could count on this guy to drop 40 goals a year.
0: No yeah. problem. And if I had to ask you, the second-best player on those teams were, it'd be tough, right, <laughs> to figure out who else was on yeah, I could, the Yeah,
2: I don't know. if I, Like, on those years, I don't think I could answer
0: you. Broussard got there later, um, toward the end of his run. But those first five, six years, man, it was it was not good. It wasn't good. You had like thirty-five year old Michael Peck on like the second line. When you, <laughs> so, so there's was a lot, a lot of that going on. But no, props to him on a great career. This year, the NHL season, Joe, as we segue back into what's going on. There's one team I got to bring up because they're the story so far. That's not getting enough credit for how good they're doing. It's the team in New York, but it's not the Rangers. Islanders are winning the Metropolitan Division right now. They're up by three points on the Capitals, four on the Blue Jackets. Second only in the East to Tampa Bay. How are the Islanders this good? I,
2: you know, I have the same exact questions that you have because <laughs> they don't, they don't have like John anyone. The team. <laughs> Tavar. Yeah, they don't have Savard. <laughs> yeah. but when you break down everything all their all the statistics and everything what they're doing is they're just not letting teams score goals on them <laughs> that's pretty much it yeah for some reason their their defense this year i think was it the lowest plus minus i, I don't know but their goalies laner and thomas grace have been amazing laner 931 save percentage only two oh two goals allowed grace 920 and 2.5 but they're They've combined for these 29 wins, and they're just unbelievable this year, which doesn't make any sense because the Islanders have been the trash talk of at least my life because I don't like them. But they've been the trash talk of the Metropolitan Division for how long now, and all of a sudden they come out after losing their best player. You can't even argue that he wasn't their best player. He's one of the best players in the NHL. Losing him to another team, and somehow they come out and they're better? Are you telling me that Barzil just needed – to take the spotlight, or Bailey. And Andres Leeds is their, their top-scoring guy, but he's only got 37 points. Like They don't have anybody on their roster that I think really warrants the position yeah. that they're in, but they're, they're playing great hockey.
0: I mean, when you give up 2.4 goals a game and, and collectively between those two goalies, that's the recipe for success. And I would compare this to, I, while we're both just completely stunned, This formula does work at least in the regular season. We've seen teams like in the past couple years, the St. Louis Blues tried the strategy where you have two goalies that are good enough to kind of share most of the duties. You have a pretty much starter, but you have a backup that's good as well. You have a team that plays the percentages, that doesn't give up a lot of goals, doesn't take a lot of chances. Barzil's been a stud, and Anders Lee has been too. And hockey is a sport, maybe more than just about any, where one guy is not going to completely, completely – overweigh how a game goes. I mean, even Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin in those years, it took talent around them to really get to the Stanley Cup level, in Pittsburgh's case, back-to-back. I just think the Islanders, what they've done, it's remarkable, I think, too, because of how good this division is historically and in the present. I mean, you have Washington, you have Pittsburgh, that's the last three Stanley Cups, Columbus, who we'll get to them in a second, but they're a quality team as well that's made the playoffs, and and they're pushing – you know, in, in Carolina and some of those teams have gotten improved, but they're I mean, it is just insane that they're able to this late in the season. You have those early season like, wow, I can't believe this team's good. But I put this up there right with Vegas last year. Uh in, in the times of sh- in the terms of shock that this late in the year the Islanders of all teams are leading their division.
2: I mean I don't know if you can say that it's a bigger shock for a team that's been playing against all of this like they've been going against the lighting. They've been going against the Rangers, who have been good previous years, the Capitals—they just won the cup last year. They, these young players that they have, they're growing up, but they grew up playing against this all this great talent, so they're accustomed to playing that way. So it just kind of seems like it's it's coming off like they they feel like they belong there because they've been playing against these other players for however long they've been in the league. But um, yeah, I mean, I hate to see the Islanders at the top of the at the top of the rankings, but it is what it is, you know. I saw them climbing up earlier in the season, and I was like, all right, if the Islanders, maybe we'll see them start to fall down a little bit, you know, because they're the Islanders. And they're kind of just there, yeah. which is a bummer. But they've been playing great hockey. So.
0: <laughs> and the way they are right now, I mean, winning the division, definitely not a lock, but it looks like they're at least going to be a wild-card playoff team. I mean, it would be a huge collapse now if they don't make the playoffs. So they're in a great position. I just want to know where those home playoff games are going to be. <laughs> which arena gets the playoff? Oh,
2: Oh man, yeah. I went to watch a game at the Nass- at Nassau where they were playing before, and it was a complete dump. So it's I wonder, a riot. You know, you're but it's a great now.
0: atmosphere outside. It's a riot outside. So um. yeah,
2: we literally when we, when we went to the Islanders game there, we literally drove up straight up to the stadium and parked in the first parking space by the door, <laughs> and just and that's that's how <laughs> that's wow. how many people go to games.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really work that way at Staples Center, but uh, good for the Islanders. Um, I think we should talk about the best team, though, in the NHL okay. by a wide margin, Joe, the Tampa Bay Lightning. 76 points, 37-10-2, 7-3 and, two, seven and three in their last 10 games, and I should point out, four goals a game. That's what they're averaging. Incredible.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, we thought
0: this coming, though, didn't we? You know, I, I think we did. I don't. The level of just consistent dominance on a night-by-night basis is really impressive to me uh, because it's easy when you build a lead in your division to kind of slack, and that's what I look at. I thought Toronto and Boston would push a little bit harder than they are. Uh, I did think Tampa Bay would win this division, but, okay, Tampa's up by 16 points on Toronto in their division. So... They don't necessarily, you you kind of see this a lot where teams just kind of slack and, you know, might mail it. And one night, you don't normally see that. You see them come back in a lot of late games when you think, okay, well, this just isn't their night. And that's what's impressed me is they're willing to fight in uh, pretty much all of their games.
2: Yeah, dude, let me uh, me break down (laughs) their, how many, how many uh, major stat categories do you think they're in first place for?
0: probably like four or five, and they probably have, uh, what, two, like four or five 20-goal scorers already?
2: Yeah, so goals four, they're in first with 196. Assists, they're in first. So not only are they scoring at a high clip, they're passing that puck around with 336. First in shooting percentage at 12, 18%, and power play percentage at 29.5%. So not only are they shooting pucks, they're finding those passing lanes, and they're putting the pucks in at the highest rate in the league, which is ridiculous. But yeah, they have. Dude, how is Kucherov, Braden Point
0: second in the league in goals scored? Like Kucherov is I one thing, but Braden Point, man. Ugh.
2: Yeah, he's been the game changer for them. Also, Stamkos, I think, is playing a lot better this year than he was last year. I think he's kind of figured out his role, and he under—I think he understands now that he's not the only. Uh, premier goal scorer on the team now. Like you said, points coming out of nowhere. He's got 30. Kucherov, always up there in points. He's got 22. They got three guys with more than 20 goals, and they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12 guys with double digit assist. <laughs>
0: <digits of> <laughs> well, I'll say this much. Kucherov is unbelievable. Right now, in the driver's seat for the MVP, that's a pretty stacked race. Um, He just keeps getting better and better. His shot is so deceiving. You know, he's not a big guy, but that shot is like a slingshot, how he gets it off. And if you take, historically, if you take Wayne Gretzky out of the equation because he's just in a class by himself, I think it's safe to say, Joe, that we're looking at the two greatest power play weapons in NHL history outside of the Gretzky factor in Ovechkin and Stamkos. I can't think of two guys historically that are more lethal on the power play.
2: Yeah, I don't think you'll find any other guys. It's <laughs> other insane what they can this. do.
0: It's insane. I right.
2: mean I mean you and me are looking at them now like obviously they're awesome, but you were just talking about Rick Nash before. Yeah. He was on the power
0: too. So. I know this is another level though, and um I mean Tampa's nuts. In terms of the Capitals, Joe, uh they're sixty points or three points off the division lead. This is actually about where I had them uh, predicted them to be and actually maybe a little better we kind of thought that the hangover might happen from winning the Stanley Cup and just the insane amount of partying that they did and the fact that they were you know got a lot of veterans that have been waiting for that moment their whole lives but they're still competing and and look it all comes down to number eight ovechkin hit a hat-trick last night his his uh, 23rd all-time that's 10th in, in the history books they got 36 goals he's on pace for 60. I mean I I don't I don't know how to how to state this without sounding too too crazy about it but he's the greatest goal scorer of all time and there's not even a, an ounce of dipping in that potential. He's in his 30s now and he looks every bit the goal scorer that he did 10 years ago.
2: Yeah the longevity, the longevity I think is really what makes him special, you know. That he's able to do that and get he's getting even better as he's progressing through his career. Like a couple of years ago Sam Coast wasn't the greatest player he got hurt and then kind of were thinking like all right is he really gonna ground back into form and now you're seeing last year he wasn't he didn't seem like he was a, a shoot first kind of player like he was before that he was kind of more lenient this is the most assists he's had in his career in one season but he comes back this year and he's able to put those two facets of the game together and do them both at a high level it's unbelievable
0: yeah, I think Washington's going to be right there. I think Ovechkin leading the charge, but some of their young players continuing to step up. Uh, a couple other things in the Eastern Conference before we move to the West, Joe Crisalli on the money-mitch effect. Uh, Pittsburgh, I think we all saw that push coming. It's really no surprise there that they were they were pretty poor and they, you know, they go on that tear when they get a little healthier. I'm a little pessimistic, I'll be honest, about Columbus because I expect them to make the playoffs. I expected it before the season, but... You know where this is trending? This is trending for the departures of both Bobrowski and Panarin, and I just feel like they might be plateauing as that one-and-done playoff team.
2: That's the issue that I see with them. Yeah, and and I feel like I can
0: come to you with this because you have experience in that area.
2: (laughs) They're that fringe playoff team where, based off of the the teams that are below them right now, Buffalo, Carolina, and, oh, God, the Rangers, but we're not even talking about them, They potentially are going to be in the playoffs, but they have had problems with corralling Panarin and corralling Bobrovsky. Now, Bobrovsky recently actually said that he wants to be traded. He said he doesn't want to be on that team.
0: Right. Did you hear what happened with that, Did you the the whole incident with Tortorella? And I understand why a lot of people hate Tortorella, especially old fan bases of franchises he coached. But Bobrovsky, you can't leave the bench. You cannot leave the bench. And go shower when you get pulled, as the only other goalie on the roster. Like that lack of professionalism, and I'm a Bobrovsky fan, but you cannot do that. What happens if there's an injury?
2: Yeah, and clearly he's not. He he feels like he's bigger than what he what he uh, comes off as. There, like he thinks he's a Vesna Trophy winner, and he is. So he wants to be treated that way. So I felt like he thought he was disrespected by getting pulled by Tortorella, regardless of how bad he was playing, knowing that there is, um, you know, uh, that Tortorella. Like you said before, I'm not a big Tortorella fan. Him being in the Rangers, I feel like he kind of destroyed them. (laughs) And he he did, in my opinion. And now he goes over where you are, and you're kind of seeing it firsthand where he's not really a player's kind of coach. He's a, this is the book, this is how it's going to be done, this is how I do things, and if you don't do them my way, this is what's going to happen and he doesn't seems like he doesn't understand how to change his mindset for um working with each player like Bobrovsky clearly has some kind of a you know I'm a best trophy winner I'm I'm the best goalie in the league I'm this I'm that that he needs to be treated like he's that kind of player with that big facade that he's got to put on so and Tortorella definitely is not the kind of guy to, to treat him like that and Panarin we, you and me, talked earlier in the year. We were curious if he was even going to stick around for a bit, even this long. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's still there, if they trade Bobrovsky, you kind of got to think that they're going to look at trading Panarin too. Because what chance do they really have without Bobrovsky? I mean, if you could even tell me who the backup goalie is, I know he had a, well, a, a last couple decent last couple of games. I, uh, yeah, Korbasala. He- Here's the, the issue. Yeah, you're, right. really, you're not going to be winning you're not going to be winning through the playoffs with that, you know?
0: The issue. And then I'm you gotta seeing, have somebody second. Yeah. I was just gonna say the issue that I'm seeing is that Turrell's not a player's coach, and it's just like Daryl Sutter on the Kings. They work well, they get immediate results, and even Hitchcock I'd throw in there. But the shelf life's not very long. You end up getting burned out and players tune out a lot faster.
2: Yeah, it seems that way. It seems like not being a player's coach and not like addressing, not addressing their needs and um, readjusting everything that you're doing based off of, you know, their attitude and how they go about things. Like Mm -hmm. listening to um, managers and stuff talk about how players act and how you have to, you know, treat them a certain way just to get through to them, to have them understand what you're trying to say is kind of how you have to do it. And it doesn't seem like that's how Tortorella does it or has ever done it.
0: It's going to be fascinating. I will just caution everybody out there saying Bobrovsky really hasn't performed in the playoffs for being the Vesna winner that he is. So uh, the Blue Jackets have some young talent. We expect them in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. We were. It looks like we might be one spot off, Joe, on our preseason Buffalo pick. They've really struggled recently. I still think they might be able to catch catch Montreal, but I think we might be just one spot off with this team.
2: Yeah, it was very upsetting seeing them start to fall off a little bit and i'm kind of sick of montreal (laughs) i mean i didn't even have them i didn't even think they were gonna be remotely contending this year because they looked like absolute trash last year um at least in my opinion but i don't know you never know buffalo's a young team they might go on some kind of run here And montreal they're they don't have the roster to you know sustain something like what they're doing what they're doing right now um so I wouldn't count Buffalo out just yet. No. Don't don't give up just yet. It's not even the all star break. It's almost think, the all star break.
0: Do you think the Rangers are kind of stuck in this purgatory of not wanting to commit to a full rebuild? Because that's what it looks like to me.
2: Yeah. And it's very frustrating because they have they have good players, but they don't have great players. It's just basically a bunch of second and third liners on the entire roster in my and from from what I'm looking at. And even the players that they got in that trade, like that trade for uh, McDonough, they got Nemesnikov. They might not even keep him. So what was the point of trading away one of your best assets for a player that you signed? This year they signed him to a one-year deal. Like He might not even be back next year because they might not even want to keep him. I feel like what, they're, what they tried to do was, I mean, they, they signed Shaddenkirk, what, two years ago for some reason? Like they felt they needed a defenseman who's aging and – is not really contributing anything whatsoever. He's been injured most of the time he's been on the team. But I don't know. I, I, or are these young players that good that they're able to compete even at this level right now? I mean, Chittel has been, been pretty good. Um, but other than him, I mean, Kreider's doing his typical 2020 kind of guy. Zuccarello, they were talking about trading him earlier in the year. And they still are, but... There's other players on the team that they were thinking that they might decide to trade instead of him, but I don't know. I mean, it's tough. And the, outlook and, and, is, it's, the outlook is kind of bleak. Like and bottom like five, just,
0: they, yeah, bottom five goals. They're 500 two. teams. I mean, it's just not.
2: Yeah, they're a 500 team, and that's that's all they're going to be if they don't if they don't commit to one or the other.
0: Yeah, it, being stuck in no man's land is the worst because the future is bleak right now because you don't know. What the direction the team's going to go with some of these aging veterans, Hank and some others included. So I, I think it's a it's a tough spot for the Rangers fans to be in. But we do need to talk about the Western Conference because Joe, as you know, my best preseason pick for a team that I thought would be good is, yep, in Alberta, Canada, the Calgary Flames.
2: Yep, that's a good one. I was going to give you props for that one. They are best in the West. Pretty good.
0: Best in the West, 8-1-1 and in their last 10, 71 points, second best team in the NHL, doing it in a, lot, in a lot of ways, but number one being an MVP, bona fide stud candidate in Johnny Hockey, Johnny Gaudreau.
2: Yeah, another great, another great year for him, but let me throw this other name out there at you, it's he the most important player on the team, mm-hmm. or is Mark Giordano the most important player on
0: the team? I like Mark Giordano. He's one of the most perennially underrated players in the NHL. He does a lot of great things out there, and he's in the most loaded division for <laughs> defensemen, right? I mean, we have to say that. So he's getting overshadowed yeah. by the guys that he's playing against on a nightly basis. But um, look, this team's this team's got a lot of studs with Monaghan and Gaudreau and. And Giordano and they're getting some goaltending I mean that's been the book on this team ever since that first playoff run a couple years ago when they fell back to earth is they can't stop anybody it's not I wouldn't necessarily say in the amazing category but they're getting some goaltending they're doing enough you know still top ten in the league in goals against I mean if you can score like that on a nightly basis you don't need to be the best defensive team in the league
2: no yeah absolutely but they they have one of the best defensive players in the league already. So when they need they need it, they get it. Also, what is Matthew Kachuk, is this his second year, third year? Either way, they're getting a lot of production out of him.
0: Yeah, he's been, he's been a lot uh, 57 better. 57
2: points. And like you said, they they actually have goaltending. And it, it came out of nowhere. They had Riddich. David Riddich. Because <laughs> Mike Smith got hurt for a little bit, and now David Riddich came in and he took over, and they're like, wow, we might actually have something here. You know what this Flames team reminds me of? This Flames team reminds me of the St. Louis Blues when they had a goaltender by the name of Carter Hutton last year. He came out and he was, I mean, granted the Calgary Flames are a lot better right now than the Blues were last year at this point, but it just reminds me of getting that kind of production out of a a goaltender that no one knows anything about. Now Carter Hutton obviously is on with the um, Sabres Mm -hmm. now, but. I really like what Calgary's doing. Every time I see them, every time I see them out there and they're playing well and at the top of the conference and winning games, I think of you and saying, you know, you should have switched. You should have switched that uh, Dallas Stars pick with the Flames.
0: Yeah. Two best teams in the NHL. I appreciate the props, by the way. Definitely do. Two best teams at home in the NHL are Calgary and the team on their tail, the San Jose Sharks. Now, Yep. I think the Sharks are going to be making their push, and this division is going to go down to the wire because there's just too much talent. I know Carlson got a little banged up, but um, you know they're, they're there, and Vegas has gotten better too. This Pacific division, which we just ripped, deservedly so, the last couple of years, even though Vegas made that run. Finally, some depth. Like We got like three bona fide teams now, and they are the three teams by a wide margin in Calgary, San Jose, and Vegas, with Anaheim just taking a complete nosedive. On that, just got off a losing streak they had. But we got three teams oh that are going to make this one interesting. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, not you if you're like, on the right side. They're going to win
2: this one, I swear. Yeah. I bet them at home against the, uh, let's see who they played. I can't even remember. Against the Senators, who were also oh on my an God. On game eight game losing demolished. streak. And, I was, and they lost. They lost. I was like, are you kidding me?
0: Nothing was worse than that Kings uh, Avalanche game that was 7 nothing in the second period. Uh, no, oh I think it was Sunday. <laughs> Saturday or Sunday. I think it might have been Saturday. Yeah, that was a disaster. Yeah. But the, the Pacific looks good. I do want to make one note, though. With Goudreau being good, I mentioned Kucherov. I feel like every year we've been saying this, but good luck, NHL committee, picking three MVP finalists. Because oh it's going to yeah. be tough. With Kucherov, is, i got to be in the final three. I'd put Goudreau. You've got McDavid. Uh, Rantanen, who's been amazing, and I think you have to, you have to at the very least put McKinnon up there too. But is he split votes with his teammates? I mean, yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I, and we're, there's still a lot to be decided. But um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be Ovechkin too. I, mean, I think,
2: I think right now for me, it's it's Rantanen because they would not be where they are right now if not for yeah. him coming out of absolutely nowhere. And they've been struggling recently W's. though.
0: I mean, it hasn't been pretty in Colorado the last, you know, ten to fifteen games.
2: No, but I mean, I stand by my pick, Rantanen. Hey, and, and, and you didn't know his—you didn't know his name last year,
0: no, and now, that's oh true. look, he's
2: got the, one of the top scorers in the league.
0: So Noah Vetchkin in your final three, huh? Noah Vetchkin in the MVP. Yeah, would one. you?
2: I have Goudreau, Kucherov, Who else you got, man?
0: Kucherov. then. Yeah. yeah wow. No, Ovi. Those are the three right now. A little voter fatigue there. I just wonder if McKinnon gets more votes because of what happened last year with how close it was for him. Um, and don't don't you know get too worried about the Dallas Stars because they're in that wild card spot right now. It's going to be tough. I mean, the West is not <laughs> there's not a lot of depth in the West to get the Stars who are and the Avalanche who are below 500 holding the wild card team. So um, holding the wild card spots, it's going to be a free for all for those last two uh, positions, but. As good as Calgary and San Jose is, as glad as I was that I picked them to to do some things. I feel like Winnipeg-Nashville is where this is all headed, and I want to explain myself being that when it comes down to playoff time, I just like how these two teams are built. I know Vegas beat Winnipeg last year handily, but I look at Nashville. If they get a little healthier, if Winnipeg can keep doing what they're doing, I feel like this could be a reoccurring thing in the second round of the playoffs between these two.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean you like you like those two, but I I'm still gonna stick in the Pacific hype train. I mm-hmm. like between those three teams, and I can't count out my initial stars pick, which was a complete shot in the dark, by the way. The fact that they're even in the playoffs right now is fantastic. Yeah, I know their GM and even,
0: president's probably furious because he hates Tyler Sagan The so only much.
2: reason the only reason that they're in right now is because. Um, I can't remember who called out Tyler Sagan. Yeah, it was their president. It was their
0: team president.
2: Yeah, he, he called out Tyler Sagan, and he's been on an absolute tear since that. So, I guess if all it takes is a, is the team president to call you out, then they should be doing more of it, especially the Rangers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know why other people uh, haven't copied that margin. It's just so fascinating to me. Minnesota is in that third spot, but they're kind of you know hanging on for dear life to get above the wild card. The bottom four teams in the West, Joe, Edmonton, St. Louis, Chicago, L.A. I mean.
2: Yeah, did you really think L.A. is that bad? They're
0: terrible. I did not think L.A. In Chicago, I just. I, I, yeah, no, the, the Kings are terrible. Uh, they don't have. the. They don't have. <laughs> where do we start? They don't have any offensive players that are young and, and fast. They can't keep up with teams. They have no depth outside, outside of Dowdy and Martinez on defense. I mean, it's just a disaster. The, the Blackhawks. Props to Patrick Kane putting together another season. He's going to be the greatest American hockey player of all time until Austin Matthews passes him. But the Blackhawks' defense is some of the worst I've ever seen. Their defensive zone coverage <laughs> looks like man. they're getting old. I mean, this is approaching like Edmonton five six years ago, and you remember how bad they were. So I don't, and the Blues are just the Blues are another team that are like the Rangers, stuck in no man's land because they have some young guys, they have some old guys, and they just don't know which direction to go towards. So, um, I do want to mention though, with Peter Chiarelli getting fired, uh, the only expression that came to my mind was about damn time.
2: Yeah, when I read that, I was like, wait, this hadn't happened already.
0: That it should not be that hard to get that team at least to the playoffs. Like it should not be that hard. Uh, especially, look, the writing was on the wall. That Taylor Hall trade, that was uh, a death sentence for oh. anybody. Yeah, anybody oh, makes that horrible. trade. I'm surprised it last as long as he did. Some of the other moves, just building around the roster. He gave Milan Luch. It's way too much. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think it shouldn't be that hard. You are wasting one of the best players the game has ever seen. Just full-on wasting his brilliance on a night-to-night basis. And no, Ken Hitchcock is not the long-term answer. You
2: know, I think the, the biggest issue was Chirelli is most likely a Los Angeles Angels fan <laughs> because he saw he sees what the Angels mm. are doing with Mike Trout and he's like, oh, I can have Mike Trout, but I can have nothing else. Mm. <laughs> Let's make this work. Let's make this happen. We got to do this. But, yeah. like, yeah, like you said, it kind of sucks because I want to see McDavid in the playoffs. I want to see McDavid go up against your Carlson's, against your Goudreaux. I want to see what... He's capable of doing, like we got to see with Crosby for so many years. Granted, I hated every second of it, but...
0: Yeah. Would you rather, see, would you I, rather I, see McDavid I or...
2: I told you at the beginning yeah. of the year, I thought Edmonton was going to be that was going to be that uh, team that was going to make it in and surprise people, but now it's it just... You can never put any faith in them. It, they had that one year where you're like, all right, they're finally turning this around, and then they totally took a, a nosedive, and now they're in the dumpster fire
0: when did you think it was bad when they started the season out struggling and McDavid had scored or assisted on their first, like, ten straight goals? <laughs> that's, when yeah. I, that's when I'm like, hey, this might not work. This might not be sustainable, guys. Um, and then Vancouver and Anaheim. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, would you rather see those teams limp in, Arizona, or Edmonton? Everybody would hey, want I'm to see Edmonton.
2: I'm closer up here to Vancouver, so I wouldn't mind seeing them and yeah. maybe go to a game, but... Um, Pedersen is sick, you, by the way. Just off, want
0: to point that out. Pedersen is nasty.
2: Yeah, he is filthy. he I, He's the only reason that they are where they are. <laughs> Him and uh, what's that other dude's name? Brock Boser.
0: Yeah.
2: Baller name, by the way. Very baller. Um, I was surprised, and I'm sure you were surprised when you were naming off the Forward's teams in the West that the Arizona Coyotes did not come out of your mouth.
0: No, they're actually competing. Um, this is about as good as you can expect them to start uh, this year. They actually have had some injuries, too. Um, you know, it's funny. When we do the list of, like, guys I think are underrated, maybe it's me showing my bias, but I just list defensemen because I feel like goal scorers and, and then goalies get all the credit. I'll recommend Larson. I know he got the new contract, but it's just incredible how good he is. And for Arizona to be only two points off of a playoff spot, I know there's a lot of teams in their way. Kind of nice to see that they're not just folding and looking to a rebuild. And if I was (laughs) the teams we mentioned—Edmonton, St. Louis, Chicago, and L.A.—it's kind of embarrassing that a team like Arizona is in front of you. (laughs) Yeah,
2: especially if you're a team with expectations like the Kings always have because they're in L.A. And then you're looking up and you're like, "Wow, the Coyotes are better than us." How does that make How does that make us feel?
0: And the race—it's
2: kind of good though. It's kind of good because I was honestly—I felt bad for the Coyotes. You know they've been they've been the the bottom of the cellar for pretty much my entire life, <laughs> and it's good to see that it's good to see them at least be a competitive team. They're right there with the Ducks. You know, realistically, they're not going to be in the playoffs, but I mean, think about it. They're only what about four or five points out right now. Only they got two. A shot.
0: Only two points out, but there's just so many teams in that mix. It's going to be a nail biter, and a lot of big market teams gonna be competing for the services of jack hughes so that'll be uh that'll oh, be yeah. fun uh,
2: they do they do the world juniors up here uh can't remember i can't remember when when they are some this guy at work is a huge hockey fan so it's actually nice to get to talk hockey a little bit with some people mm-hmm. at work one guy but yeah. um yeah he said that they hold that up there so maybe i'll go get to see hughes play before yeah he's drafted
0: might have to make a road trip for sure now that i know they're up there um, all right, Joker's Daily Money Mitch Effect. This was fun breaking down the NHL season. Lastly, how tuned in are you going to be to All Star Weekend in San Jose? Are you going to be taking it all in, watching the three on three tournament, some of the skill stuff?
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Most likely, almost likely, tune in. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not close enough to go down there. You're probably closer than me. Um, but. Yeah. Did you see the the uniforms they rolled out? Those Adidas ones that are made from fully recycled material, and they're just black and white. And they got like that peel on the inside. I did they're see Actually, that. pretty sweet.
0: I actually, yeah. I'm not I...
2: usually a fan of the uh, I'm not usually a fan of the All Star uniforms because they put like that huge NHL logo in the front with it's either like uh, whatever color they want it to be, and it just is not appealing whatsoever. But I like these because you know, they just look cool, and I love that they're recyclable.
0: I like the all white looks that they've had for some of the jerseys. I don't know if you saw some of those, the all white look that they've been rolling out. I think Adidas is actually doing a pretty good job. They got off to a little bit of a rough start, but I think they're. I think this could be good for the NHL, and uh, I, I just like the I just like the uh, skills competition more so. I mean, the three on three is cool. It's fun to see those guys out there trying to put on a show. But hardest shot, fastest skater, like all that stuff. So yeah, I'm going to be watching and. We get to see how good all these guys are hungover, so that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: Hungover, they might be drunk.
0: Yeah, I know Ovechkin would just make sure. It's always fun. If anyone was drunk, it was Ovechkin. Yeah, I think he, uh, the one in L.A. two years ago, he won hardest shot. He also fell down trying to do a drill, so I'm like, okay, I don't know about this guy. But, all right. (laughs) This was fun, Joker Sally. Still better than everyone out there. Still better. Joker Sally. thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you on, and you'll be on the Money Mitch Effect soon. But uh, thanks for coming on and talking hockey.
2: Yeah, man. It's fun.
0: And that's it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to both guests, Ryan Souls and Joe Crisali, for taking time to appear. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Tim Adams for supplying the beats. Brian Nelson for supplying the logo and you can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, along with the other podcasts running with the money. Search for both of them. It just pops right up. And check us out on the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page where every episode is posted as well. And follow me at Twitter, Money Mitch M21. Next week there will be a Super Bowl show as well. As some Tennis Talk. We'll recap the Australian Open, the doll looking unbeatable. Djokovic appears to be destined for another final matchup with him. Serena Williams upset one of the strangest endings I've seen. Women's final looking. Women's final is set. It's Kvitova and Naomi Osaka. We battle for number one as well. So a lot to break down in both the men's and women's draws of the Australian Open as well. That'll be next week along with a preview of the Super Bowl. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep enjoying sports.